The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have everyone. Thank you for joining us. But let me tell you, I'm even more excited for our guest today. He's the founder of Casman Capital, John Casman. John, thanks for joining us today. How are you, sir? I am doing great. Thank you for having me and looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, the pleasure is all on my side of the uh, Zoom call here. Uh, we, we appreciate you joining and making some time for us and the audience. Uh, for those that are maybe hearing your name and voice for the first time, hopefully not, but if they are, would love to get your origin story about where you're from, how you got into real estate, and what kind of real estate you find yourself in these days. Yeah, sure, Cody. Happy to give some background here. So my name is John Kasman. I live in Cincinnati, but I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. But I'm a Midwest kid. You know, I was born and raised in Cleveland, lived in Dayton, have lived in uh, Chicago, Detroit, Cincinnati now, and really like the Midwest. And, you know, coming out of school, I went to into marketing. So I was a marketing executive for many years. One of the client side was at General Motors for about four or five years, and then went back to the agency side. So I spent 15 years in marketing, and ultimately, I went from being a corporate marketing executive to a full-time real estate investor. And I'm happy to share a little bit more about how I was able to do that. But the biggest thing for me was we had a trigger point when I was at GM. And uh, if you all know the time frame, I was there from 2007 to 2011. So we did go through bankruptcy during the time when I was there. And that really just opened my eyes to the challenges and the limitations that the corporate life has to offer. You know, I couldn't rely on a W-2 job. And I grew up watching my father, you know, go on strikes and stuff like that, being in the unions. Um, But to, to be in an environment where you watch a company that was a big, huge conglomerate and to have it go into bankruptcy where I wasn't sure if I was going to have a job, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the company. And we spent months and months going through that kind of anxiety to finally get to the point where, you know, my colleagues are getting laid up, let go, and they're not sure what they're going to do for their family and how they're going to make an income. It just really opened my eyes that no matter how good you are at your job, no matter you know how secure you feel, you don't have that control. And you need to find other ways to take control and provide for your family. And for me, that came through the income that real estate had to offer, whether you're actively investing or passively investing, it was really important for me. So that kind of took me down this journey where we started investing in a duplexes, some three unit buildings, eight unit buildings, and then ultimately getting into apartment syndications where we partner with other investors, pull our capital together and buy larger apartment buildings. Man, I love it. And I'll echo it again. I say it almost every episode. I love hearing everyone's origin story because everyone comes in with a different mentality, different background. Uh, you know, if you put in the time and the effort to learn and to grow and with this business, you can do anybody can do it, right? It doesn't matter if you grew up in real estate or not. It just takes time and effort to get into it and learn it. And but once you do, it can be very fruitful. Um, so John, I, I appreciate that. I love the origin story. As much as success as I would love to hear from you and love to talk to you a little bit about, we're going to flip that that coin and talk about the other side of it and talk about some of the challenges or failures you've had along the way that have ultimately shaped you to where you're at today in your career with real estate. And I'm sure have taught you a lot of valuable lessons and hopefully some that our audience can learn from today as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. We definitely have some of those. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any of them come to mind when, when I know you were, we were talking a little bit beforehand, you know, thinking through your career, what are those, any of the specifics that kind of come to mind? Well, I'll tell you this, you know, one of the things that happened to me was we bought an eight unit building around 2016, I believe. And my wife and I were using all of our own capital. We're saving our money, investing, saving our money, investing. And right around the time we had our second child and, you know, it was a bittersweet moment because we bought this property. It's my first commercial property. Was really excited about, you know, where we were headed. Um, But we had saved a lot of money. We put a six figure down payment on the property and the notion of going through that process again, saving six figures to buy the next property just seemed so, you know, distracting, you know, I was just kind of distraught just thinking about it. It was like, man, this is supposed to be a great moment. I'm just sitting here like, oh, it's going to take me another year to save this kind of money, buy another one. Right. And um, at that moment, I really started to think about how I could solve it and what are my options. And I remember sitting down with a friend who went from nine units to 90 units. And she started telling me about working with other people's money, right? And raising capital and going to syndication. Well, the other thing she said was the other way people are growing is scaling is by flipping houses. And at this time I said, you know what? I'm going to do both. That was a huge mistake because I was a full-time executive. My wife was full-time executive at her job. We had two boys. One was a, an infant. And here I was trying to take manage my existing portfolio. I'm looking to scale into a larger apartments and then also looking to do flips. So, I mean, I obviously knew that that would be a lot to take on. So I said, hey, on the flip projects, I'll partner with someone. I'll let them manage the flips. I'll come in as more of a passive investor, let them run the flips. That way I can generate some capital so I can go do more deals. In the meantime, I'm going to learn about multifamily investing a little bit more, raising money, work with others. And I'm going to spend more of my energy focused there. And by doing all of these things, what ended up happening is I had to really trust that partner who was running the flips. And we ran into some challenges. One of the biggest challenges was um, the person didn't have a plan to scale. And we did a pretty good job of vetting them. We saw the properties they had been doing. I got references uh, from the work they were doing, but they didn't have a plan to scale. And worse than that, they didn't have the openness to take in feedback or even recognize that there was going to be an issue scaling. And I think that was really the the biggest red flag for me that we missed is we should have paid more attention to the personality. Was this somebody who was going to be a good partner or is this just somebody who was a good uh, executor of their job? You know, when you're looking to partner with people, You want someone who's going to take that feedback, who's going to listen to your concerns, who is going to understand the challenges of a deal or the challenges that you may face. And maybe you're wrong or maybe your your concerns aren't really warranted, but they should be able to tell you why and justify that based on the information. And we weren't getting that. And at that moment, I kind of realized this was not going to end well, and it didn't. Wow. Well, listen, I... I don't know when it's going to come out, but I know I know we had on Jay Scott and he talked a lot about the kind of a checklist that he runs through on partners. And one of the things I think you hit the nail on the head and, and Jay mentioned was the notion of at some point in time, you're going to need to manage your partner and be managed by your partner. You know, if you're splitting up the responsibilities in the work and you and that partner have to be okay taking both roles because they may need you to do something on something they're in charge of or, or accomplishing and vice versa. I know for 
our organization, my partner Jackson does all the broker relations and construction management uh, and a lot of the underwriting. If he needs me to do something that's anything related to those, I need to take that uh, that that management from him and, and go own those actions. And the flip side of that, I'm investor relations and marketing. So if I need him to go do something from a marketing standpoint or maybe go to this event or post this thing, he has to be have that flexibility to say, okay, I'm going to take this this management from Cody because we need to do that. So, to your point, John, that's crucial in the relationship because if you, if you don't have that, it it can crumble. And it sounds like it was kind of a, a struggle for you guys. Yeah, it was absolutely. And that partnership is so key because you have to have those clearly defined roles and responsibilities. But even within that, it still comes down to the person, right? Because everything is good when everything is good. You know, what happens when things fall apart? And I think the the kind of people you partner with is really important. What is their character like? Um, have they ever lost money on a deal before? Because if they've lost money on a deal, you want to know how they reacted to it. What did they learn from it? Do they blame other people or do they take accountability on what they could have done? You know, in that situation, I look back and say, you know what? I didn't do a good job vetting that individual. I looked at their work. Their work was good. Um, I saw finished products, I had references, but I didn't vet them properly for their character. And there were signs that this person wanted to do it their way or the highway. And we should have paid a little bit more attention to that. And I, I didn't listen to the voice that I had in my side because I had zero flipping experience, right? I'd never flipped the property. And this guy had a whole construction company. So in my mind, I said, well, I don't think it should go that way, but on the same note, he's the expert. So we just kind of defaulted to him. And I would say that even if you don't have the experience, you should listen to that voice and ask those questions. And that person should be able to justify their position to you, whether they are right or wrong, they should be able to talk to you about it. And to me, it's more about the respect. It's about the respect of being able to recognize that, hey, this is a new investment for you. Here's why we do it this way, or here's how it works. They should be able to articulate that if they respect you. And if they don't, it's not the kind of person you want to partner with. I want to circle back to what you mentioned kind of at the beginning there. I know a lot of times when we think about relationships and partners, we look at the good things, right? How What is the good work that they do? Here are the, the things that they bring to the table. But to your point, I think a lot of it comes down to how do they respond to stressful situations or bad situations? So a question for you, if you don't mind, would be, and what you touched on a little bit, how do you evaluate or go about evaluating that now that you've gone through that experience and kind of learned on how people deal with those stressful situations? What is it that you go or ask them or do to try and evaluate their response in those types of situations they find themselves in? Yeah, it's a great question. So some of this is hard, right? Because you can't manufacture stressful situations, but you can ask questions and listen. I go back to understanding about, you know, things that didn't work out and how did they respond? How do they talk about it? Is it a lot of blaming and finger pointing on what someone else did? Or, you know, do they do they call out the facts of the situation, recognize what could have been better and move on accordingly? You know, very few people are self-aware enough to recognize what control they had over a situation. You know, it's easy to blame that contractor or easy to blame that investor or that partner or that broker or whoever, and just say they did X, Y, Z, and that's why this didn't, didn't work or that's why that happened. But how many people recognize what they could have done? What adjustments did they make in their process, like you said? And that's the important thing to take away. So one, I like to ask those questions to understand and 
you know, how they approached it. It's a very important question for me is, you know, tell me about a deal that didn't work out or tell me about, uh, you know, something that that failed or didn't work out and just see how they talk. I could care less about the actual deal and more about how they talk about it, understanding like, you know, again, the little insights from how they carry themselves when they're discussing it and things like that. Uh, and did they learn from it? Did they make adjustments or did they just say, oh, it didn't work? We're going to just try again and run into the same issues over and over. So are they making adjustments to the processes? Are they learning? Are they getting better? And those are the things that I'm looking for. The other thing I will tell you is just really understanding personality, taking your time to get to know people and paying attention to those red flags and recognizing that you don't have to pull the trigger immediately just because, you know, you met somebody and they've got a deal or an opportunity. Gut check from someone else. You know, in that situation, my wife was a little less comfortable with the guy and I should have just listened to her. Uh, but bring in a third party and say, hey, you know, what you think of that person and, and get their take? Because sometimes just like in dating, right, you might meet somebody and think they're great. And you've got your buddy or your friend and they meet them. And they're like, that person's awful for you. And you're like, what do you mean? This person is great. It's like, man, <laughs> did you not hear this and what she did there and what she said there? It's like, man, I didn't see any of that. I, I guess I missed it completely. So sometimes it's good to have a third party who can just objectively come and look in and give you some feedback. I, I love that. And going back to what we I talked about earlier on with the origin story, we a lot of times folks don't come in with the construction background, real estate background or anything like that, but realize that you do come into this space with experience in the real world and dealing with people. And oftentimes to your, to your wife's credit, uh, trust your gut, right. And, and understand that you don't have to understand construction to know that this person, there may be some red flags about this and try to explore those philosophies and what those red flags are, because to, at the end of the day, this is your business and your livelihood and, and what you're doing. So make sure that you're leveraging all of the skill sets you've learned along the way, regardless if they have anything to do with real estate. Yeah, I agree. I, I want to point out one last thing, right? When we talk about um, either mistakes or obstacles that you had to overcome, I think if I could go back, one challenge, th one challenging thing that we faced was trying to do too much, right? So I mentioned being a full-time employee, my wife being full-time, we've got these kids, I'm trying to you know get into apartments, we've got these flip projects. If I could go back, the one thing I would do is really step back and say, hey, look, what are you really trying to solve? And be smart, because my goal was not to be this big time real estate investor type person. I was really trying to create additional income for my family. I was trying to insulate myself from losing my W-2 job first and foremost, but then also building, building some cash flow and creating generational wealth. So with that said, I actually could have done that through passive investing. I didn't have to go out and try to do all this stuff myself. And I didn't really want to, given that I didn't have a background in construction and I wasn't in particularly, uh, you know, focused on the, the real estate side of it. So I would say for anyone listening, you can invest and pick a strategy that works for where you're at and what you're trying to do. If you don't have an extra 20 hours a week to dedicate to building your own real estate portfolio, why not learn the basics? Why not look at operators? Try to figure out who makes sense to partner with and invest passively because you can make the mistake of getting yourself a second job when you're really trying to get financial freedom and becoming independent of your job. And here you are now working an extra 10, 15, 20 hours a week trying to manage a property or managing contractors, unit terms, dealing with residents. So just be very mindful of what you are actually trying to solve before you select the strategy for investing.
Man, I, I love that. I, I was just saw something come across uh, Instagram the other day where there was a short-term rental opportunity and and the cash looked pretty good from an annual standpoint, but I started doing the math and it was like a 3% cash on cash return. And I mean, there were a lot of problems with this property, but it was one thing that came to mind, like somebody's going to jump into this thinking they can start their real estate career. And they may not know that that passive investment with somebody like yourself and other syndicators that, hey, I can make potentially double or more of that without doing any of the work and still learning along the way uh, from these experienced folks that are doing it. And, and it's just a lot better process than, than having to manage all the things that go into it for there. So, uh, John, I think you're completely right. And I, and I love that point. And that's probably as good enough spot as ever for us to kind of wrap up and, and do that. So uh, I thank you for jumping on, John. It's been a pleasure to have you on. For those that want to work with you, maybe invest with you, or even learn from you in the future, where's the best place folks can find you at? Yeah, we have a sample deal package on our website. You can go to kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. If you download that, you'll get on our, our newsletter. So you get updates from us and get everything you need to connect as well as our podcast. So just check that out there, kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. Perfect. I love it. John, thank you again for jumping on. It was a pleasure having you and, and some absolutely fantastic knowledge this morning. Absolutely, Cody. Take care. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening at home. We'll catch everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.